I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. Holiness normally seems like this impossible, unattainable thing. How are we supposed to do it in this time? We're talking about that in this episode 75. I've debated about this for a long time. I've been in my home a while. And I've come to the conclusion that I don't trust stairs. They're always up to something. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 75. What a momentous number. We are here, you're still here. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. You know what, if you haven't yet, can you please go rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it? Our highest uh, honor that we can receive from you is sharing this with one of your friends, your family, posting it on social media. Be sure to tag us on Instagram at Thought. And if you feel so inclined and benefited by this podcast, to visit our website, manafoodforthought.com, and click on the Patreon tab where you can become a supporter for as little as $1 a month. Now, got all that fun stuff out of the way, let's talk about our peak pit and plug. Peak, 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 peak. So my peak... This week, um, I'm really enjoying making my own sound effects, by the way. That is a personal peak for me. But uh, my peak for these last couple weeks has been, I mean, there have been a lot, of, a lot of good things to thank the Lord for. But I think um, our, our backyard is turning into like this little oasis. We spend a lot of time back there. It's fenced in. And it's not a backyard. It's like a back patio. Let me say that. Um, but we're doing a lot of gardening in our front patio as well. But our back one has a higher fence and we can stay secluded and things like that. And it's just really nice to be back there. And it's really just, yeah, proving like a nice little project. So we're not really spending money on anything other than groceries once a week. And so a lot of that money we'd normally be spending on entertainment or going out to dinner or things like that is Amazon stuff for our garden. So, um, yeah, it's been pretty fun uh, just having that as a way to kind of enjoy this time and have gotten a lot of little house things done as well, house repairs and things like that. So that's been really great. Um, and always family is wonderful and, and so good. And so, um, but Pitt, these past couple weeks, we've had a couple days where both kids... Levi and Hannah have just been like off the rails emotional and then that makes us off the rails emotional and it's just it, it was it's been pretty hard a couple a few days this past week um were pretty difficult they're both at that um at an age where they can really give it to us emotionally so um yeah so pray for us but overall things are going well my plug uh, for this episode, I just finished a great book called The Catholic Gentleman by Sam Guzman, uh, Living Authentic Manhood Today. If you are a man or you know one, which I'm sure you do, um, I highly recommend this book. It is very easy to read. It is not complex theology. It is in small bite-sized chapters. I've gifted it to many people, maybe some of you who are listening, but I just got around to reading it myself um, or rereading it. I think I may have read this before, but I usually make notes and there weren't any in it. So, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. So, um, it's a really good chapter by chapter, very small. Every chapter is like, I don't know, four or five pages, like not long. So if you're not a big reader, but you want something to kind of kickstart, you know, your faith and you are a man, um, then I highly recommend it. I think if you're female, you benefit from it, but some things are, are about masculinity and masculine stereotypes and, 
how to be a man and stuff like that that probably won't translate as well but it's all good stuff so want to put that there and some things in that book uh, kind of resonated with what I wanted to talk about in today's episode what I want to talk about is holiness and how to be holy especially at a time like this you know, holiness, I think, seems like this impossible, unattainable reality for us under normal circumstances. We kind of paint this picture of the saints as these mythical heroes, almost like Hercules um, and people like that. And we we dehumanize them and we also create this image that it's it's kind of impossible to be like that. And so if we're trying, it can be very self-deprecating or we can just kind of be resigned and say, well, I might as well not try in the first place. And that's under normal circumstances. And now you have a pandemic and how, you know, what is that supposed to look like? How is holiness even possible right now? And that's what I want to talk about in this episode, because I think the most important thing for us to overcome as an obstacle on our journey toward heaven is this idea that holiness is this big, extravagant, otherworldly thing that will take on all of these supernatural effects in our life. Holiness is about every single day, ordinary moments of living charity and virtue. And yes, supernatural fruit will come from them, but it's not necessarily going to look like levitating or bilocating or bearing the wounds of Christ or whatever it is. All these kind of crazy things that we know some of those canonized saints did. But to recognize everyone in heaven is a saint. They may not be canonized, but they are considered by church teaching to be a saint. And so if your grandma Barbara is in heaven, she's a saint, Saint Barbara. But the church doesn't officially call her Saint Barbara because she hasn't gone through that official canonization process. But we're all called to be saints, which means we're all called to be holy. That word holy means to be set apart. It means that there's something different about us. We don't go with the flow. We don't look to the world for our satisfaction or what it means to define meaning in our lives. We know that Christ gives meaning. But that looks for most of us, like everyday, ordinary moments of living extraordinary faith. And it doesn't mean we have to do these miraculous things and heal people left and right. Maybe you're called to do that, but most of us, I think, are called to just live virtuously. And you can do that in any time. In fact, this is a better time than any that we've had in recent years to live virtuously because there's a a huge need for it. There's a a commonality of not wanting to live virtuously, of wanting to live comfortably, or being succumbed to anxiety or all of these things um, that will prove fruitless in that effort to be holy. And so the one thing I've been meditating on in preparation for this episode is this, that I fully believe now more than ever, the devil wants you to believe that right now you are as holy as you will ever be. I'm going to say that again. The devil wants you to believe that right now, this moment in your life, you are as holy as you will ever be. Now, if you hear that, the normal response to that will be two different attitudes. And these are talked about in the adult uh, catechism of the Catholic Church uh, for the United States on page 343 um, in one of the chapters on life in Christ. And I think this is derived from a G.K. Chesterton quote, but I couldn't find it. And it's about the, these two alternatives to hope. When we're living in holiness, we're living a life of hope. And that's something that's given to us by God. You can't, you can't build the virtue of hope on your own. Faith, hope, and love are gifts from God. We can't, we can't attain them. We can attain the other uh, uh, virtues, the uh, fourth cardinal virtues, justice, prudence, temperance, and fortitude, by doing disciplined actions. 
and building up those virtues. But faith, hope, and love, those are gifts from the Lord. And so when we live our lives with hope, there's a hope for heaven. There's a hope for better. And so each day we're striving for more. But when we believe that the devil, this lie that the devil wants us to believe, that we're as holy today as we will ever be, we can react in two ways. And the adult catechism says this, if we refuse the gift of hope, we stray into, here are the two ways, presumption or its opposite, despair. In the sin of presumption, we think we will be saved without any personal commitment to the moral life. In the sin of despair, we lose hope in God's mercy and believe we cannot be saved. So recognize first that these two attitudes are sinful. They're sinful because they are dishonoring hope in the Lord. They are discrediting and distrusting in Jesus. So if you think you're as holy as you will ever be today, and your response is, cool, I'm holy enough, I don't need to do anything else. That is the sin of presumption. You're presuming that you're as good as you need to be. I see this left and right in church communities. This is one of the biggest sins. I, it's like the sin of the Pharisees. You know, I think we have a, a huge problem, myself included at times, with modern day Pharisaic Christianity where we have this sense that, like, I know the rules, I know the church teaching, I know where the church stands, and so as long as I assert that, or I angrily say it in a comment with all caps on Facebook, I'm good. But when it comes to actually walking the walk, and not just knowing the faith in my head, but but believing it in my heart and living it with my hands, if I don't do those, then I'm guilty of this sin of presumption, that I don't need to try anymore. If all I'm doing in learning about the faith is so I can tell it to somebody else in kind of this smug, self-righteous, I know and you don't attitude, then I have no concept of what it really means to be Christian. Because being Christian is recognizing, first and foremost, that I am a sinner, that I am not good enough, that I am not where I'm supposed to be. I need a Savior. And that Savior, praise God, has already come in Jesus Christ and has reconciled us. But the response to that gift is a daily lived effort to do better, to be better, to know the love of the Lord more deeply. And so if we presume that we're already there or that we don't need to go back and learn more, then we're committing a sin. I Unfortunately, I see this happen a lot in the kind of professional Catholic world too, with speakers and with things like that, this kind of um, pausing in continuing education. You know, I'm not just talking about like formal, like, you know, getting a degree, but like just, you know, what are you reading? What are you studying? What are you contemplating? How is it stretching you? How is it challenging the way that you've known the faith or the way you've understood your faith your whole life? Like these, those types of things should still be happening. We should still be listening to those podcasts or lectures or going to those workshops, retreats, conferences, learning, uh, maybe even going back to school and getting higher degrees in theology or philosophy, whatever it may be uh, for those of us in that field. But whatever it is for you, you know, how are you growing? How are you being challenged? Because we can easily fall into that sin of presumption. If we think that I'm as holy as I ever will be today, and that's okay, I'm presuming something that is not true. And then if I hear that lie that the devil wants me to believe, that right now I am as holy as I will ever be, and I think, 
well, great. You know, I, I guess I'm, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be what I'm supposed to be. I'm only ever going to be this mess of muck and sin. I might as well not even try, or I'll just be ashamed of who I am. That's the sin of despair. That's neglecting the fact that you are created in the image and likeness of God, called to be his adopted son or daughter through baptism, called to be reconciled to God in the sacraments and having a personal relationship with him. And if we just resign ourselves to the fact that I'm never going to get there, I'm never going to be holier than I am now, then we lose hope in God's mercy. And we believe we can't be saved. And that is tragic. And it's not true. It's simply not true. And that is why I think the devil is using this situation of this pandemic to do this more and more. And I think this sin of despair is prevalent in most people. Despair in general, but this idea that like this is never going to get better, um, you know, shooting for for this hopefulness in earthly things, working out sooner than we hope, and constantly being disappointed when they don't, and then having this sense of personal despair because, you know, let's face it, a lot of us have created this image, myself included. This is something I've really been struggling with. Is you know, I had this image unintentionally, but I kind of liked that I was perceived this way, to be honest, that I had it all together and that um, my life was very efficient and organized and I could, you know, super disciplined and can do things, um, you know, all in, you know, most organized person on the planet, you know, uh, or most disciplined person on the planet or or things people have told me or said about me to my face or, you know, about me that it's, you know, anyways. And to a degree, there are certain things that I do because I've built virtue over time to be a certain way, but I'm not perfect. And I, you know, I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, willfully profess this image that like, oh yeah, I've got it all together. But, you know, vulnerability and having an audience to be vulnerable to was something I was looking for for a long time. Having a real good, close group of people who I could relate to, especially of men who were around my age or time in life, you know, something I still am looking for. And, you know, it was not often that I could be vulnerable. And so I think this this idea that, like, I've got it all figured out, you know, um, kind of emanated from me unintentionally. And, you know, when that began to fall apart in this pandemic and really I came face to face with my anxiety that was developing and my inability to do things that I could do before, um, that really, you know, brought on those thoughts and moments of despair. So I think that's really common for a lot of us. And then on the, the, you know, the church leadership side, I think we also have to be very conscious of presumption. Or maybe if you're very attached to the sacraments, as we all should be, but if you're just kind of clinging back, now maybe you can go to the sacraments again and saying, okay, I've got it. I, I was able to go to confession. I'm able to go to mass every week. I'm good. Maybe you're presuming that going through the motions again is going to be enough. Have you done the real hard work in your interior life to consider, Jesus, how are you calling me to be closer to you and to grow and to reject sin and be stretched in my capacity to love you and love others during this time? I think this is something, you know, one of these two things are things that we, you may be teetering in between on a given day, but are rampant in a lot of our hearts during this time. Presumption might take the form of um, how are you living your best quarantine life? You know, instead of being willing to say like, okay, no, I need help. I need to figure this out. Trying to keep this image up like I've got it all together. 
being someone who kind of proudly knows it all, if you've approached some of these Facebook or online debates without the without leading with the capacity to listen first, leading with that desire to listen and understand, there's this great quote from St. Ignatius in the Spiritual Exercises, number 22. I can't remember it, but he basically says, you know, we, we need to enter every single situation knowing first that we should be in the position of listening. And then if it's hard for us to hear, then we should seek to know how the other person understands it. And then we can have a conversation about the truth. And then if the other person still disagrees then maybe we can have that conversation about enlightening them as to faulty areas in an argument or a stance. But this idea of listening first and not approaching a situation as if I'm going to teach or illuminate or reject an argument, but to understand, that can very well be aligned with the sin of presumption. Maybe you're refusing to acknowledge your own need for growth, but calling out everyone else's, you know? It would, it would be very presumptive of me to be saying all this to you and not acknowledge the ways that I've failed online, the ways that I've failed uh, in not trying to live my best quarantine life. You know, I'm composting for crying out loud, you know, and, you know, I'm not trying to present it super glamorously and like it's this amazing thing. Um, I mean, it's pretty cool, but like just it's that's not why it was done. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I want to learn a new language over quarantine so I can say that I could. I want to read these books so I can say that I could when I go back. Am I already thinking about how I'm going to say something impactful about this time later on? Maybe presumption is refusing to acknowledge your own sin while acknowledging everyone else's. Pointing out the flaws, all of those things and the things around you or that you see. Maybe it's taking that form. Or if you're in the area of despair... Maybe during this time, it's just, it's felt like it's, this is too overwhelming to do anything. Too overwhelming to try. Too overwhelming to approach God. Too overwhelming to consider that maybe God is calling me to something and I'm just going to retreat and be comfortable. Or maybe self-medicate. Maybe having that thought like, why bother? Why try? Is this ever going to end? When that fear and anxiety manifests, it's because somewhere fundamentally we lack our trust in God, and we don't trust in his victory over this. You know, one of the, the readings at Mass recently was that reading from um, Romans chapter 8, um, where it says, um, In all these things we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor blah, 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 nor all these things, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will conquer overwhelmingly. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? If we don't, we might accidentally fall into the sin of despair. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, um, it says, He saved us and called us to a holy life. So we know holiness is our goal. We know that's what we're called to. But, it then says, not according to our works, but according to his own design and the grace bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began. In simpler terms, you are called to be holy and you cannot do anything about it on your own. You cannot do anything about it by yourself, by your own effort, by your own merit. It is about humbly coming before God and saying, Make me holy by using me and working in me 
as you would, according to your plan and your purpose, Lord. Not how I would like to be perceived presumptively, but coming to you in my borderline despair and saying, God, work in me. I can't do it, but you can. Holiness is possible during this time. I want you to be comforted by that and know that. Holiness is possible, but not by our own effort. We have to submit. We have to admit our fault and weakness. We have to be willing to be made smaller, humbler, more insignificant in the eyes and standards of the world so God has room to reign. I think for too long, other things have reigned over our heart. Our self-image, money, power, our career, um, how we're perceived by others, our followers and friends on social media, our influence at work or in our social groups, the fact that we're involved in this community organization or that ministry. How do we make room for the Lord and the Lord alone to reign? And the one thing I want to emphasize more than anything else, once we know that this holiness is what we're called to and we can't do it on our own, being aware of those guardrails before we hit despair on one side or presumption on the other, the one thing I think that's most important to emphasize is this. Holiness is much more about the ordinary moments of daily life than any radical moment or experience. Holiness is a daily choice. It's the manifestation of virtues that are built by daily choices, those cardinal or yeah, cardinal virtues, and those theological virtue, virtues that come, faith, hope, and love, those are only possible from God. But we have to make the daily choice to come to him and allow him to work in us. And that will come out of the daily disciplines to be better, to, to have better habits, to be kinder, to be more patient. We have to recognize also during this time that holiness will set us apart from both sides both sides of the political spectrum, both sides of even the politics within the church. Holiness will set us apart from evil and our idealized idea of what holiness looks like. And we'll find it, you know, somewhere more grounded and more real. St. Louis de Montfort, um, a saint who is responsible for a lot of the literature around consecration and devotion to Mary, um, he once said, we can be conformed to the image of Christ in two ways, being chiseled into a sculpture or being formed into a mold. And most of us, I can't remember he said this in elaborating or commentators did, but most of us go the chisel route. We do the hard, painful work of starting out as this big clunky slab of sinful stone. And then we go to mass, clink. And then we go to confession once, clink. And then we, um, you know, try not to have a bad temper, clink, clink. And we have these small, painful chips away at ourself. And, and it's hard and it takes work of vulnerability and time and diligence. I don't know if you've ever seen someone make a sculpture, but it is painstaking work. Or you can be formed into a mold. But in order to do that, you must go from stone to liquid. You must become completely malleable in the hands of God. We must be able to completely surrender the image, the structures in our life that make us feel like we have some sense of control. 
and just be poured out. Just be poured out. I think it was St. Francis who said that, that there are two ways to heaven. He used kind of a similar analogy, the red ladder and the white ladder. And the red ladder is this kind of chiseling route. It's doing the hard work over and over and over again. But the white ladder is the way of Mary. Consecration to and through Mary, recognizing Mary is the perfect model for surrender and obedience to the Lord. She allowed herself to be poured out. Her entire life after one yes was changed forever, and she was just along for the ride, being as holy as she could, which was pretty dang holy. Holier than all of us in comparison, because she models what it means to be poured out. So how flexible are you? How fluid are you in the spirit? Another encouragement I would give you in how to be holy during this time is to cling to that virtue of hope. Recognize that God is not just the assurance of a future promise, but he is present now to be faithful and victorious over the things he has promised that he would. He's with you. He's loving you right now. He is working for your good. He already has the way out of this figured out. He's already got the plan. It's already in his hands. When we feel like it's really hard and we're really struggling and suffering, it might be because we're really fighting against the accepting and trusting in that plan. Realize he's working for your good. During this time, try to receive everything as a gift. Instead of thinking, why is this happening? Think, how is this making me holier? How is this making me holier? Embrace the good during this time. Celebrate it, affirm it, even if it's small. Assume the good in places where you cannot see it. You know, we've, we had in the 60s in our church, the Second Vatican Council. That was a, a complete upheaval and renewal in the way that we did church. This moment, right now, 2020, COVID-19 pandemic, is a Vatican II of culture. We are completely upending the way we do everything. The way we view family, the way we view school and education, the way we view work, the way we view priorities, how we use our time. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. We're going to have to say goodbye to things that we've known, ways of doing things we've known maybe our whole life. But the Spirit is alive and moving. And so I want to end before we get to our saint with this passage from the book of Philippians chapter 2. This passage comes right after the famous Christ hymn, the uh, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. You probably heard that. It's one of the most, uh, the oldest kind of uh, written hymns in the New Testament. But this passage I'm going to read you comes immediately after that. It establishes that it's all about looking to Jesus as the model and the image of how we are to be, how we are to be holy. And this book, Philippians, this letter, it's called the Letter of Joy, which is so interesting because St. Paul wrote it to the community in Philippi, which is in Eastern Europe. He wrote it while he was in jail, and it is called the Epistle of Joy. Philippi was the first community he established in Eastern Europe, and it was a Roman colony that was very proud and nationalistic. It was all about the Roman Empire, Roman culture. And so Christian followers who don't look to Caesar as their God or the Roman Empire as their salvation, but look instead to this God of the Jews, God of Jesus, 
they received and suffered a lot of resistance and persecution specifically in this, this city. And so the community, the church community in Philippi, they send someone named Epaphroditus with a, a financial gift to St. Paul in prison to help him during that time there. And this servant, Epaphroditus, he almost dies um, as from illness as a result of making this trip, but he does it. And so Paul sends this letter as a thank you and uh, with encouragement and instruction for this community on how to keep going during this difficult time. It happens right after this famous poem um, to remind us that our story is in Jesus's story, uh, especially if we want to live a life of holiness. And what he's doing here is he's encouraging the people to expect God's kingdom to come down to their reality, rather than for them to have to ascend this mountain to go and achieve it. And for all of the emotion and division they feel, that that should be offered to God in prayer, not to create division in the community against Rome and Christians, but to bring people together and recognize God will come down into this mess and be with you. He already did that in the person of Jesus. And that is continuing to happen. And so I want to read to you Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. And I might stop um, in between the verses here. But I hope this is encouraging to you. And I would encourage you to reflect on this during this time and see how the Lord is speaking to you through this particular passage. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, obedient as you have always been, not only when I am present, but all the more now when I am absent, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice that, that Paul praises them for what? Obedience. Responsibility to the things they know they're supposed to be doing. Are you being obedient to what you've been called to in faith by God? And coming to God, not with this presumption that you have it all together, but fear and trembling. Those are virtues in this context because they recognize the greatness and grandeur of God and how we are incapable of saving ourselves. That should provoke fear a little bit, but a holy fear that recognizes I don't need to be afraid long-term because God has already done the work. But it might make us afraid in the moment, like, wow, look how powerful God is. So we continue, For God is the one who, for his purpose, his good purpose, works in you both to desire and to work. It is God who does this, not us. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or questioning. Ooh, man. Whether you're in despair or presumption, that can be a struggle, right? In despair, that grumbling, that questioning, why is this happening to me? Why can't this be better? Why can't I overcome this? Or in presumption, why should I have to do anything else? I've got it figured out. I'm holier than that person. Do everything without grumbling or questioning. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Sound familiar? Among whom you shine like lights in the world. Recognize we shine not because of our own validation and what we are doing, but what God is doing in us as what? His children. His children. So we come to God like children, helpless, needing a father, needing a savior, needing guidance, not knowing where to go or what to do. That is how we shine like lights in the world. 16, as you hold on to the word of life, so that my boast for the day of Christ may be that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
We don't do these things to jump through hoops. We don't go to Mass or participate in the sacraments to go through the motions or have mindless rituals. There's a purpose behind them of ordering God as first and foremost in our life and committing ourselves into perpetual devotion, surrender, and relationship with him. Verse 17, But even if I am poured out as a libation, recognize that image, Are you being chiseled from a stone or poured into a mold? As I am poured out as a libation upon the sacrificial service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. He rejoices in prison. Are you rejoicing in the prison of your house? Most days, I not necessarily would say they'd be characterized by joy. I try. But it's hard. But he says in 18... In the same way, you should rejoice and share your joy with me. Just as Paul is writing this from prison, and don't think modern prison, think like first century prison, first century Roman prison, not good living conditions at all. Unhealthy, that's probably part of the reason why Epaphroditus, the servant who brings this financial gift, almost dies because of the terrible conditions. And yet Paul is singing praises of God as he's chained and shackled, starved, isolated, encouraging others, seeing the good, clinging to joy, not despairing and not presuming that his work is yet done. You know, he actually says earlier in this letter that this might lead to his death, but he does not want to die because it would be a greater service to go out from prison and spread the gospel to more people. He's willing to die, but he thinks it would be less a sacrifice And so he wants the greater sacrifice. I can't think of a moment in this quarantine. I've asked myself, you know, this is a big sacrifice, but what's a greater one that I could do? Yeah, right. Like, come on. Like, I haven't thought that for a second. And maybe that's why I've been struggling. Maybe that's why I've been maybe falling too much into a victim mentality instead of seeing this as an opportunity to grow and be virtuous. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be a mess. And you're going to feel like you failed most days. And that's okay. Because that's the walk of a Christian. At the end of the day, we can walk to God and say, Lord, I feel like I failed today and I feel like I fail every day. And Jesus can look at us and say, good, but you were faithful. You don't have to worry about failing because I have already conquered failure. I have already conquered death and sin. As long as you come to me, to follow me, to be reconciled to me, you will be who I created you to be. Hear that and know that if you're discouraged during this time, if you've been lost in your own pride, in the midst of division, in your own self-righteousness, or if you've been just despairing and struggling, which I think the second one of despair is more the case for a lot of us. Presumption, I think, is more in, you know, the politics of the church, maybe. But either way, I think both are are true in my own life and both have have entered and and left sometimes in the same day but i want to encourage you that holiness in this time is possible and not only that it's more possible and more attainable now than in any other time because there is such a great need for it and where there is great need god always provides great opportunity Do not buy the lie from the devil that you are as holy today as you will ever be. Keep trying each and every day. And the saint 
that I'm so excited to talk about is the saint who is kind of the unofficial patron saint of ordinary holiness or of the ordinary life. And that is Saint Jose Maria Escriva. Jose Maria Escriva, his full name is Jose Maria de Escriva de Balaguer y Albas. What a cool name. He is the patron saint of Opus Dei, which is a lay organization. And if the only image you have of that is from the movie The Da Vinci Code, that is wrong. That's fictitious. That's based on a real thing, but they took it to this whole other degree. Um, that's not true. So he founded this organization that's all about lay holiness and um, living out your faith in the real world. He's also the patron saint of people with diabetes because he himself had type 1 diabetes. Um, He was born in the early 20th century, January 9th, 1902, and he died June 26, 1975. So he is very recent. He died only 45 years ago. He was born in uh, Barbastro in the Aragon region of Spain. It's northeast near Barcelona and the French border, that Basque area up there uh, by the Pyrenees. And he was the second of six kids, the first of two sons. And his father was a merchant. And when he went bankrupt, they moved even further inland, but stayed kind of to the other end of the French border, um, still in the northern part of Spain. And when he was young, he had a disease that many people believed to be epilepsy, and doctors said that he would die. So his mother brought him to a statue of Mary at this uh, local shrine, um, and it's a statue called Torre Ciudad. Later on, when he was a priest, he built a shrine there that's still today. It's now a pilgrimage site because of this miraculous healing that he experienced himself at this shrine. When he was young, he first felt he had been chosen for something, when reportedly he saw footprints left in the snow by a monk who was walking barefoot. He saw that devotion, dedication, something otherworldly, something out of the ordinary, but in very ordinary life. And he saw a call there for him to be chosen for something. He had his father's blessing, not super typical for saints, but um, with his father's blessing, he was ordained a deacon uh, in December of 1924, so he's only 22 years old, and then he was ordained a priest in Zaragoza, Spain um, in 1925 in March, so he was only 23 years old. And then he lived 50 more years as a priest. Um, when he was, uh, very early on in that time, he went on a prayerful retreat and that helped him discern more definitely what he considered to be God's will for him. So in 1928, he, um, saw this organization, Opus Dei, in a vision. It literally means work of God. And he wanted it to be a way that Catholics would learn to sanctify themselves by their secular work. Um, So Pope Pius XII eventually approved it as an official Catholic lay organization, lay apostolate, in 1950, um, and he, um, Jose Maria, um, founded that, continued to lead it, guide it. He studied law also in Spain. He had a doctorate in theology. He had held many influential roles in offices in the Vatican and on different pontifical academies, in schools, in seminaries. Um, he was a very well-learned guy, but he was seeking to live out his faith in everyday ordinary life, and he died uh, June 26 on 19, uh, 1975. He was 73 years old. Um, and he died in Rome. Friends, when they uh, reminisced about him, they always said a few things. Um, They said he was always obedient to church hierarchy, something that I don't know if you're in the deep dive on Instagram or the Catholic Instagram accounts that are out there or certain Catholic influencers on social media. I cannot say that about very many of them. 
being obedient to church hierarchy, unfortunately. Um, it's more obedient to their uh, hipster, edgy opinion. Anyway, um, they also said that he emanated peace and immediately wanted to get to the heart of a person. Uh, and lastly, that he was always ready to act upon the will of God. He didn't presume to know what God wanted him to do, but when he felt that God was moving, he did not despair that it was too much. He just simply acted. There were a lot of controversial uh, things about him in his life, different accusations that were levied against him, um, uh, against Opus Dei, against his certain political affiliations. And I think that was because he really always held the stance of being obedient to the church and living that out in the world, and that ruffled people's feathers. In fact, um, at the Thanksgiving Mass for his canonization, Pope John Paul II said this, In the founder of Opus Dei, there is an extraordinary love for the will of God. There exists a sure criterion of holiness. Here's what it is. Fidelity in accomplishing the divine will down to the last consequences. For each one of us, the Lord has a plan. To each he entrusts a mission on earth. The saint could not even conceive of himself outside of God's plan. He lived only to achieve it. St. Jose Maria was chosen by the Lord to announce the universal call to holiness and to point out that daily life and ordinary activities are a path to holiness. One could say that he was the saint of ordinary life. Those were the words of Pope John Paul, Pope St. John Paul II on the day of St. Jose Maria's canonization. I had a professor when I was in college who was a self-professed celibate. He was a Catholic, and he was a member of uh, Opus Dei. And he was a professor, a music professor and humanities professor at a secular uh, public college. And uh, we had a lot, many, he, he saved me during my, uh, he's never going to listen to this. Dr. James Rodomsky is the best. So um, if you know him and you listen to this and you went to Cal State San Bernardino, you know who I'm talking about. But he, um, we had a lot of different talks about ministry, about theology, about what it meant to be Catholic in the world. And, um, cause I was, you know, in ministry during that time and I, I would talk about my future and he, he was always very supportive of be, me being in ministry, but he always was kind of putting this out there as well. And just saying, you know, the church has many ministers and you might be one of them, but God might be calling you to just be a holy Catholic composer. That's what I was studying at the time was music composition. And you know, whoever is listening to this, God is calling you in your station of life to be a holy Catholic essential worker, a holy Catholic nurse, a holy Catholic police officer, a holy Catholic teacher, a holy Catholic student, a holy Catholic member of your family. Um, I think a lot of times we we just idealize faith and holiness as like, okay, it'll start when I st start my mission year or go and, and do this big extravagant thing. And if you're called to that, please do it. Don't let this be a discouragement. But don't feel like you have to do that to be holy. Holiness starts right now as you're listening to this today in this moment. What can you do to be more virtuous and better on that path that the Lord has called you to be holy? So I want to leave you with uh, quite a few quotes from St. Jose Maria Escriva because I think they are so pertinent. This is the one that I shared recently on a previous episode. Uh, he said this, Don't say that person bothers me. Think that person sanctifies me. He also is the one famous for saying, A saint is a sinner that keeps on trying. So if you've heard those quotes from me or elsewhere, that's St. Jose Maria. Uh, here's some things he says about this topic. To reform every day a little, this has to be your constant task if you really want to become a saint. To reform every day a little. 
He also said, great holiness consists in carrying out the little duties of each moment. Doing your homework, cleaning your room, doing the things you said you were going to do, making a to-do list and being faithful to it. In that is holiness because you're being faithful to what God has called you to right now. And when another calling comes along or your vocation or something bigger, it'll be easy to say yes to the big thing because you've built the virtuous practice of saying yes to every small thing that God has called you to. St. Maria also said, Don't judge without having heard both sides. Even persons who think themselves virtuous very easily forget this elementary rule of prudence. That's a quote about that presumptive state that we can get in when we lose sight of hope and we think, I'm as holy as I will ever be today, and that's okay. He also said, If you have so many defects, why are you surprised to find defects in others? <laughs> that's another um, uh, sin of presumption sometimes. Um always pointing out what's wrong in everybody else and not applying the same rule to ourselves. He said, compromise is a word found only in the vocabulary of those who have no will to fight. That, I think, applies a lot more to despair. Compromise is a word found only in the vocabulary of those who have no will to fight. No will to fight, even if that fighting is sacrificing. And lastly, this is a longer one, he said, Christian optimism is not a sugary optimism. Nor is it a mere human confidence that everything will turn out all right. It is an optimism that sinks its roots into an awareness of our freedom and the sure knowledge of the power of grace. It is an optimism that leads us to make demands on ourselves, to struggle and to respond at every moment to God's call. So, my brothers and sisters, what is God calling you to today? Probably not something vastly extraordinary, levitating, bilocating, because odds are you have a limited number of places you can go and things you can do in listening to this. And even if you do have things that you can do, there are confines and rules and policies that we have to abide by for the common good. But sainthood is possible, holiness is possible today and every day in the small virtuous disciplines and choices you make to be faithful to what God has called you to. So what do you need to go do? How do you need to allow the impatience or the anger of this day to form you and shape you? Are you going through your faith each day in the midst of this as a stone being chiseled, one painful move after another painful move, finally getting closer and closer and closer to the finished product? Or are you just going to finally acknowledge that you don't need to hold up that image anymore and just melt in the hands of the Lord and say, God, just form me, form me. Take that white ladder through consecration to Mary. Consecration to Mary and modeling her yes, her outpouring, being willing to sacrifice her entire life for the plan of God. Odds are God's not going to call you to be Mary. Well, I'm going to say God won't call you to be Mary because he already called Mary to do it. But odds are God won't call you to do something at that level of sacrifice, especially all at once. God knows you and he's going to call you to smaller but still stretching sacrifices one at a time. No more than you can handle without his help. And so come to him. Become liquid in a mold before him so that he can shape you into what you were created to be. I'm praying for you, my brothers and sisters. I hope that was encouraging to you. No that we are with you, our prayers are with you, 
And until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm.